Would you pray with me? Almighty God, may we hear your words and learn your truth this morning as we meditate on your scripture. Amen. Seeking truth through wisdom. It's difficult to discern the truth. There's a great deal of information around available to us, some of it accurate and some of it false. And there are even misrepresentations of accurate information that can lead us astray. One of the many examples of this scenario was the debate that took place in the 1960s and 1970s regarding the health risks of leaded gasoline. Although lead was known to be highly toxic, it was used in gasoline production to minimize engine knock without considering the effects to the general public. Researchers employed by Ethel Corporation, a company that was formed by Standard Oil and General Motors, had claimed that leaded gasoline was safe to use because lead naturally occurred in the environment. However, an independent researcher, Dr. Claire Cameron Patterson, campaigned against the use of lead in gas because he saw evidence of ill health in the general population as the levels of lead in the environment increased over time. The oil industry was powerful, powerful enough to have Dr. Patterson and his research excluded from the United States Public Health Service and the National Research Council. But it was not enough to silence him. Eventually, he was asked to, te to testify in a Senate hearing exploring the effects of leaded gasoline on the public. And his opponent was Dr. Robert Kehoe, a well-known researcher employed by Ethel Corporation. In the hearing, the committee was confronted with large amounts of data, which both researchers agreed was accurate. But the conclusions drawn from that data were very different. Dr. Kehoe claimed that there was no risk to public health from airborne lead or from any other lead in the environment, but Mr. Dr. Patterson disagreed. Fortunately, public health concerns were prioritized and lead was removed from automobile gas. Later research confirmed that Dr. Patterson's concerns were founded and campaigns were launched to remove lead from gasoline around the world. There was plenty of information about the effects of lead gasoline for decades, but interpreting the data and coming to the right conclusions was not an easy task. Today's passage from Proverbs characterizes wisdom as a woman seeking our attention to help us, but frustrated because she is ignored much too often. Wisdom cries out in the streets, on the busiest corners, and at the city gates, wherever people congregate and communicate. Today, that might be the social media forums, the local political meetings, church group settings, schools, or community groups. Wisdom cries out for our attention, but we sometimes get distracted, misled, or even purposefully ignore what we know we should do sometimes. Warnings about global warming, for example, have been public for decades. Although we've known about the risks of global warming, we have done little to stop or even reduce it. Again, we have been misled by some industry groups that would be negatively impacted by environmentally conscious policies. The companies have been accused of withholding information and even sowing seeds of doubt in some research results. 
that might impact their profitability. But we can't lay the blame only on industry. We should also admit our own faults of ignoring opportunities to emphasize environmental issues or to choose products that are more environmentally safe. Our, proverb from, our scripture from Proverbs this morning tells us that the consequences of ignoring environment and ignoring wisdom is calamity, which as we have seen in, in the last summer, in the past year, in the form of massive fires and hurricanes and flooding events. Our passage from Proverbs characterizes wisdom as vengeful, maybe even mean-spirited out of her bitterness for being ignored. This may seem like an accurate representation when we consider the losses that so many have endured from recent disasters. Losses of property, of businesses, and even lives. But the good news is that God, the source of wisdom, is known throughout Scripture, as well as in our own personal experiences, to be loving and forgiving. In both the Old and New Testaments, God seeks a way to guide us out of the calamities that we encounter and reestablish a loving relationship with us. In the writings of Jeremiah, chapter 31, we see God promising to establish a new covenant with Israel where God's law is written on their hearts and their sins are forgiven. And of course, there's the good news of Jesus Christ expressed in the New Testament Gospels that tell us the depth of God's love for all creation. John chapter 3, verse 16, beautifully reminds us that, quote, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. I think it's important to remember that God doesn't want uh, to see us suffer. God wants to see us thrive with joy and compassion. God doesn't create the calamities we encounter. God carries us through them and tries to guide us to lives of abundance by sharing God's wisdom. In Psalm 19, our second reading this morning, we have a beautiful description of how God shares the divine wisdom and understanding. In Psalm 19, it opens with a reminder of how God speaks to us <clears throat> through creation, day by day and night by night, not with words, but in spirit. The messages are there in front of our eyes and permeating our soul, but not in the form of speech or words. The voice of God comes to us in experiences as simple as a sunrise or a sunset where we sense majesty, power, and immensity, along with subtlety, balance, and fragility. These moments can revive our spirits as we reconnect with the source of our being and remember who we are, where we came from, and where we belong. In verse 7, the psalmist abruptly changes topic to specifically address God's teaching, or Torah. The psalm moves from descriptions of inspiring imagery of creation to a list of attributes associated with God's teaching. But it still flows together nicely with a common theme of wisdom giving coherency to the entire writing. In this second part, the psalmist reminds the reader that God's teaching is perfect, giving life to the universe, and we can recognize those teachings by their attributes. God's teachings bring joy, wisdom, and enlightenment to those who find them. 
So if a person's thoughts lead to anger, foolishness, and a lack of understanding, they've probably missed the mark. If the conclusion a person reaches doesn't make sense, leads to greater pain and animosity, and doesn't fit with all the other information available to them, it's most likely wrong. Living a life built on this kind of understanding leads to pain and the kind of personal calamities we want to avoid. In contrast, the psalmist advises us that discovering God's true teachings is more desirable than all the material wealth the world has to offer and more gratifying than any physical experience that we can have. So it makes sense to be diligent and careful in our search for the truth. Much of the information we get today that is presented to us in fact, as a fact, is really opinion. Misleading statements are often made in social media and news outlets when the authors have strong opinions about a subject and want to sway the public to their point of view. Information that doesn't support their point of view is omitted, and partially true facts that does support it are exaggerated. Of course, this doesn't lead to truth, but to polarization. Often the intention of this behavior is more about fostering division than acquiring God's wisdom. Based on the traits of the teaching given to us in Psalm 19, messages that perpetrate negativity will not lead to truth, but to destruction. When the message we are receiving evokes division and distrust, it's probably coming from human pride and selfishness rather than God's love and compassion. But what if, if we discover that we are the source of negativity in a conversation? Or we suddenly realize that we have mistakenly taken the wrong side of an issue? Fortunately, we are allowed to make mistakes, and we are even expected to make mistakes. God knows that we're not perfect, and offers us grace for the mistakes that we make. Likewise, we are expected to extend grace to others who desire to make amends for the things they've said or done that they wished they hadn't. In verses 11 and 12, the psalmist acknowledges that we are warned of Aaron's behavior by the Lord's teaching, but we may fall short and still say or do the wrong thing. And we may also make mistakes because of the teaching of God that we may have never fully understood in the first place. The psalmist pleads to God, clear me from hidden faults. Fortunately, we are assured this gift of grace comes to us through the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, whether we understand it fully or not. In the case where we are made, have made mistakes and sinned before we knew of Christ, we are offered prevenient grace that guides us unwittingly towards God's truth and wisdom. In that moment when we recognize Christ as our, as our Savior and develop a personal desire to follow Him, we are offered justifying grace. And in the days and years following our acceptance of Christ, as we seek to grow stronger in our discipleship, yet still make mistakes in our lives, we are offered sanctifying grace. This gift of grace covers our lifetime and assures us that we are never hopelessly lost. We are always encouraged by Christ to repent from the negative behavior we participated in and live into the teaching of God. But as the palmist suggested, uncovering God's teaching 
will not always be straightforward. One way we approach discernment in the United Methodist Church is through a process we call the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. In this process, we look at a situation from four different perspectives. Scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. We start by looking at Scripture to see if there's guidance that could lead us towards the answer that we're looking for. Through prayerful reflection and contemplation of relevant passages, we might gain some insight into the topics that we're concerned about. We might next consider the tradition of our church. Has the church ever considered this issue before that we're interested in? Or are there resolutions that we could refer to? And we might next reflect on our experience or the experience of others that can help us discern the appropriate response. What has happened in the past and what have been those consequences? And finally, we use the gift of reason to determine if our conclusion makes sense and is consistent with our understanding of God and the world around us. This is just, this is just one of the tools to help us in our search for God's wisdom. Intuitively, we know that when we have found it, it brings us peace. Unlike knowledge in the form of data that can sometimes be counterintuitive, wisdom creates a deep feeling of satisfaction when we realize that we have connected directly to God's teaching. It's usually not complicated, but it may be difficult to explain. As the psalmist stated it so well, the day and the night tell of the teachings of God, but there are no words. We know it by the joy, wisdom, and enlightenment we get when we encounter it. Let's come together in our search for truth through God's wisdom and reflect the love and compassion that God has given to all of us. Amen.